Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. Well, that was fun. It was June 14th, 2017, and I had the opportunity to go see you two live in concert with this hottie. Uh, she is my beautiful wife, Heather, who is over there, still looking lovely this day, babe. And, and of course, uh, we had a great time, but you might be wondering, well, that's great, uh, but why start a sermon with a story about you two? Well, that's a great question. Well, there's, there's a few different reasons. Number one, they're my favorite band. Uh, number two, I've always wanted to you know, come up on stage with that song playing. But the real reason is because while we were there, as the music played and the people, you know what the people did? The people responded to the music and the message and the band. And it was a powerful response. And, and, and here's my question, though. Uh, it, was, it was perfectly normal for them to respond. But Why? Why is it normal for people to respond that way at a big concert? And, and why are we talking about you two in church? Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. And I'll get to that in a minute. But first, I need to tell you another story. See, maybe you're not a music person. So uh, on September 27, 2008, I and a couple of friends of mine found ourselves surrounded by gators. Um, now, thankfully, they, they weren't that kind of, of gators. They were actually this kind of gators. Um, Pastor David, of course, would be happy about that. I'm not sure which is worse, honestly, more scary. Because uh, I'll tell you what, we were in this stadium at the uh, Swamp in Gainesville watching the University of Florida Gators play some team of no consequence. Um, go Gators! And so I was there with a friend. But you know what was fascinating about this? Uh, as we were there, before the game had even started, but of course when the kickoff happened, people responded in deep and powerful ways. And, and of course, that's normal at a game like that. But, but you might be wondering, as I was, why is it normal that people respond that way to games like that? Uh, and, and why are we talking about that in church? Well, those are great questions, and I'm glad you asked. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But before that, I need to tell you one more story, because maybe you're not a music person, maybe you're not a sports person, um, but there's a story that happened two days after we attended that game on September 29, 2008. Some of you may know that the Dow Jones Industrial Average had a 777.68 drop, the largest single-day drop in history. Uh, I wonder, was anybody in the market at that time? And noticed what happened? Yeah, here, here's the thing. I'm sure, and obviously, stock drops affect everyone in some way, but they don't affect everyone the same way. So for me, I don't have any idea what I was doing that day. But if you had investments and you had things that you were hoping were going to go a certain way, well, you probably responded something like this, as a lot of people did. Um, now, uh, yeah, like that. There we go. People responded when the markets dropped. And of course, if you're invested in the market, that's perfectly normal. But why is it normal? And why are we talking about this in church? Well, I'm glad you asked because finally I'm going to tell you why. Here's the big idea. We are most responsive to the things in which we are most invested. If you're taking notes, this is a good thing to write down. 
We are most responsive to the things in which we are most invested. So uh, that said, when Pastor David uh, chatted with me a couple months ago and said, hey, would you mind preaching in September? And he said, hey, why don't you talk about worship? And, um, and I said, okay, fine, I guess if I have to. It's not very experienced in that. It's kind of like out of my comfort zone, but I guess. No, of course, I'm happy to talk about this. But here's the thing about the topic of worship. Uh, it's a really big topic. And so I was thinking, how in the world am I going to cover this topic? Um, Now, you might be thinking that too, and I have good news. We're actually not going to cover the whole thing today, but if you would like to go really deep, feel free to go check out an 11-part series that I did called Worship Beyond the Music. It's 11 weeks long. You can have access to it for free at philipgonzalez.com worship. That's also on the QR code. So uh, if after today you want to dig deeper in the subject, feel free to do that. But here's what I've learned after many years of preaching. Most of the time, most of us, don't really want to do a deep study on a weekend. What we really want is a right now word from God to speak to us where we are and to show us where to go. So that's my prayer for our time together this morning. And that said, let's pray and ask him to be with us today. Father, thank you that you are so faithful to be with your children in every season. Thank you, Lord, that you respond to your people when we come and and bring our prayers to you. And so, God, I pray that today you would work in our hearts and you would help us to continue to learn more of who you are and who we can become in you. Lord, we thank you and we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. That said, what I want to try to explore together is the answers to three questions. Number one, what is worship? Number two, how can we worship better? And number three, why does worship even matter? Now, to exploit the first one, uh, we need to do a quick word study. Now, I am a word nerd. I have always loved words and language. Uh, My mom tells me I was talking before I was one. My wife will tell you I've never stopped. And I love reading dictionaries and everything else in between. So uh, let's take a look at the English word. Worship comes simply from the idea of worth-ship. It's describing, it is giving to, it's acknowledging the worth and value of someone or something. But, of course, the Bible wasn't written in English, was it? No. It was written in uh, a few languages, but primarily in the Old Testament, the language of Hebrew. Now, in Hebrew, the word most often used for worship is this word, uh, shakha. Can you say shakha? Great job. If you spit on the person in front of you, you're doing it right. Good job. Uh, now, it's not, not chaka, by the way. It's not chaka khan. It's different. Uh, shaka, it means to prostrate or to bow down. This is a word used 53 times in the Old Testament. There are other words that are used in the context of worship, but this is the biggest one by far. Now, the New Testament, of course, is written in Greek, and the word here is proskuneo. Say proskuneo. Great job. Sounds like you have a hiccup. Proskuneo. Very good. That means to kiss, certainly not in a romantic sense, but in the sense of kind of, you know, kiss the ring, uh, to show honor, or again, to prostrate. And notice how both of these words in the Bible have very little to do with emotions. It's about action. 
here's the big idea, that worship in its essence is showing honor to someone higher. The idea is whatever is at the center of your life, whatever holds the highest place in your affections, in your devotion, in your service, in your sacrifice, that is the thing that you functionally worship. Not what you claim, but what you do. Uh, Paul writes it this way. He's writing to the church in Corinth, and he tells these followers of Jesus, he says, therefore, whatever, I'm sorry, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do what? Everything for God's glory. How many things? Everything. Everything. And notice what he, what he didn't say, right? He didn't say feel. He didn't even say say. He said whatever you, what? Do. He says it in a different way to the followers of Jesus in Rome. We find this recorded in Rome, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul writes, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your, what? bodies, not your hearts. Hearts are great. Minds are great. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Other translations say this is your spiritual worship or even your reasonable service, which is a great topic we could go into, but we don't have time. But here's the bottom line. Whoever or whatever is at the center of your life, not what you say is at the center, but what you reveal by your actions, that is what you functionally worship. I love this definition from Louis Giglio. He says it this way, worship is my response to what I value most. Now, you'll notice we haven't said anything at this point about singing. And you know I love me some singing. You know, I love some worship through music, but it's so much more than that. And if you want to dig even more into that, feel free to go check out my website and check out Worship Beyond the Music, and you can get the 11-week series, right? Now, here's the big idea here. Worship is more than what we feel or say. Worship is what we do. Now, that's a quick look at kind of what, what is worship, right? Because it's easy to think about it as the stuff we sing. But a life that only sings and doesn't live as a result isn't a life of worship at all. So that begs the question then, how can we worship better? Well, we're going to look at this and learn how to worship better from the story of someone who got it right. And this is actually a fascinating story because uh, it's found in three out of the four Gospels, but not the three out of four Gospels that normally share stories. Normally, we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are called the synoptic Gospels, and there's a lot of shared material. And then John is kind of over here, woo, out in John land. And John land is great, um, but it's very different than the three synoptic Gospels in many ways. But this story is different. This story is found in Matthew and in Mark and in John. Now, there's also a story in Luke that is similar, but it's actually a different account. It takes place earlier in Jesus' ministry. The characters are, are different. The point that Jesus makes is different. Uh, but these three share this story. And I thought it was interesting. Um, this is actually a lineup of the, the content of the different three Gospels and the different details. You know, John starts up here, and the others have this extra detail. I thought that was fun. But, but here's what we're going to find in the story. We're going to find the story of a woman who responds to Jesus. And the way she does it, maybe it looks a little strange to us, but as we're going to see, 
it really wasn't that strange at all for her. In fact, you know, the fact that two women responded similarly to Jesus actually isn't that strange when you understand the context. And, and the reason this story matters so much uh, is because it's not strange that she responded to Jesus because we are most responsive to the things in which we are most invested. Now, if you'd like to follow along, which I always love, uh, if you have a paper Bible, you could turn to John chapter 12 and Mark chapter 14, because here's what we're going to do. It's a little different. I hope you're okay with it being a little different than usual. If you can't, you should, I guess you could walk out and leave, but that'd be very rude. So what we're going to do is we're actually going to take both of these accounts and we're going to blend them because they each have slightly different details of the encounter that they record. So by synthesizing them, we get a better picture. So you're welcome to follow along. We'll start with the John account, then we'll go to the Mark account. But what I thought might be helpful is to have it on the screen with just both parts mixed so we get the full picture together. Is that okay with you? Okay, one, two. Okay, let's try that again. Is that okay with you? All right, very good. Thank you. Hmm. All right, let's take a look. Here's the story, starting in John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, the one who Jesus had raised from the dead. Does anybody remember that story? Perhaps you heard it in Sunday school once? Okay, big story. We'll come back to that. Next verse. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary, so we've got our characters, right? Jesus, Lazarus, Martha, Mary. Mary took a pound of perfume, and then John, uh, Mark adds, in an alabaster jar, pure and expensive nard. She broke the jar and poured it on his head, then anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But, everybody say but. But some, specifically Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, were expressing indignation to one another, saying, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they began to scold her. Well, Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You will always have the poor with you, and you can do what is good for them whenever you want, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So that's the story. And my question then is, how can we learn about how to worship better? Well, let's take a look. Remember, we've been talking about this idea that worship is my response to what I value most. And look at what Mary did. What did she do? Mary responded to Jesus. Mary didn't just hold happy feelings in her heart. Mary didn't just hold true beliefs in her mind. Mary responded by doing something for Jesus, not because there was some obligation she was trying to fulfill, but because she couldn't help it. And, and I love this too, because uh, notice how Jesus replied, <laughs> leave her alone, why are you bothering her? She's done a noble thing for me. But look at this phrase, I love this. She has done what she could. 
See, Mary didn't respond to Jesus according to some template that some person had told her, this is how you worship right. Mary didn't respond to some cultural expectation that, you know, if you really want to show someone that, that you appreciate them, this is what you do. Mary responded with how God led her personally. Mary wasn't trying to measure up to some standard of performance, some mode of expectation. She simply did what she could. And you know what? It was enough. Maybe you're the kind of person who finds yourself sometimes conflicted, like you want to worship Jesus. You want to live a life that, that honors him more. You, you sometimes, perhaps, you see people responding during the, the singing times in a certain way or, or doing other things in their life, and you kind of feel like, am I doing it right? Listen, the essence of responding in worship is not about measuring up to some checklist. It's about doing what we can with a heart that truly loves and trusting it will be enough. Jesus said, <laughs> stop criticizing her. Let her follow where the Lord leads her. She has done what she could, and she's done a noble thing. Now, remember also that we are most responsive to the things in which we are most investive. Did you notice what Mary did? Mary invested in Jesus. T take a look at the, the passage again. Perhaps you know the story, perhaps not. But, but Mary took this pound of perfume in an alabaster jar, pure and expensive nard. She broke the jar, poured it on his head, then anointing Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, so the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Pure and expensive nard. It was something that she had that was valuable to her. It was something that she had that meant something to her. We're going to find out later. Remember, Judas was complaining, 300 denarii. A denarii in that currency was about one day's wages for a common laborer. Nearly a year's worth of wages is what Mary poured out. She invested in Jesus. And I love that. I love that. Now, here's a question, though. Why did Mary invest so much? Well, I'm glad you asked, because here's why. We invest the greatest in the things which move us most. So this last Saturday, I took my daughter, Alendra, to ice skating lessons. Drove, you know, 30, 40 minutes, took her to an ice rink, hung around, watched her do her thing. We've been paying for this for many semesters now. Uh, why? Why am I investing in ice skating lessons for my daughter? Is she going to be a figure skater someday? Are we going to put her on? Probably not. But it brings her joy. And I'm willing to invest because the moment she was born, it moved me. If you have kids, if you have grandkids, if you have people in your life that you care about, you know you invest in them, not because you're trying to meet some obligation or checklist of this is what a good parent does, but because they move you, and you can't help but invest. We invest the greatest in the things which move us most. Which then makes me want to ask this question. How was Mary moved by Jesus? Well, John starts the story with this detail. And he references a previous story that he had shared. It's interesting. Uh, John records 
Seven signs that Jesus did. John wasn't trying to catalog every miracle that Jesus accomplished. John was arranging the miraculous things Jesus did as a sign to point to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Savior of Israel. He was the Anointed One. And that is all powerful and all true. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, it was John's way of demonstrating to his readers and to us that this Jesus is God himself in the flesh, God who alone has the power over death. But I don't think Mary was moved by Jesus because she understood a deep theological concept. Mary was moved because Lazarus, her brother, was the one that Jesus had raised from the dead. It wasn't theoretical or theological for Mary. It was personal. And there's a depth to this story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and why it moved Mary. There's a depth to the story that we often miss living in our world of women working, which is great, and 401ks and pension plans, which are wonderful, and social security, which is helpful, perhaps, if you get it. But that didn't exist back then. See, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, yes, it was good that Martha and Mary had their brother back whom they loved. But in that day, if Lazarus had stayed dead, there's no telling what would have happened to Martha and Mary. We have no record of a spouse, no record of other family. In that day, when a woman didn't have a man to provide for her and look after her, she was destitute most of the time. She was in a very precarious position. One of the reasons why there were so many prostitutes in this time was because there was just no other option to survive for so many women. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, here's the thing, he didn't just rescue Mary from heartache, he rescued her from ruin. He rescued her from a life in the depths of despair. I wonder, how has Jesus rescued you? What has Jesus rescued you from? And if you, ha you can't point to something, maybe it's time to ask him what that's all about. See, here's the thing. That's why Mary was moved by Jesus because of what he had done for her. Now, here's the thing. Not everyone responded the same way, did they? I mean, there were a lot of other people in that, in that banquet, but not everyone responded the way that Mary did. In fact, Mark records some, Judas Iscariot, of course, who was about to betray him, some were expressing indignation to one another, saying, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. They began to scold her. I find it interesting how the person who was criticizing Mary's extravagant display was a person who was perhaps the least invested in Jesus anymore. Maybe he started that way. There's a lot of Judas's backstory, I'm sure, that we'll perhaps find out someday in heaven, but we don't know. All we do know is at this point in the story, Judas, he's actually invested in something else. Maybe you know the story. Maybe you know that Judas was stealing from the ministry money. Why was Judas so concerned that the perfume wasn't sold? Because he was invested in himself. And he was far more concerned with criticizing someone else because of his own investment in himself than he was about wanting things to be done right. I've found that many times those who criticize the loudest are the ones who are simply embarrassed that someone else's devotion to Jesus makes their own look bad. 
He was scolding her. That's not appropriate. That's not proper. That's, that's a little too much. That's a little too extravagant. Not because he was worried about doing things right, but because he was invested in himself. Here's the thing. This is a great diagram. If you want to know how someone is most moved, you need to figure out where they are most invested. And if you want to find out where people are most invested, don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. If you want to know where you are most moved, if you want to know where you are most invested, look at how you respond. Look at to what you respond. And look at how much you respond. I went to that U2 concert and I responded because I'm invested. I love that band. They move me. Maybe that's not you. When I went to the swamp and watched the Gators play, I happily cheered along with everybody else, but I could really care less because I'm not a football guy. I don't respond following games because I'm not invested in that school. They don't move me. I paid no attention to the markets on September 29th, 2008 because I wasn't invested. It didn't move me at all. You know what moves me? being here with you. You know why you see me like a lit firecracker most Sunday mornings? It's not because I drink too much coffee. Uh, it's no more than 20 ounces. <laughs> My wife points out I do drink a lot of coffee, but that's not the thing. It's because I know, listen, I know who I would be without Jesus. You know what charismatic, well-spoken people do when they don't love Jesus? They use people. They manipulate people. They take advantage of people. There but for the grace of God go I. I know who I would be without Jesus. Do you know who you would be without Jesus? Do you remember who you were without Jesus? That's what leads us to respond. And again, let me just reiterate, not in some checklist like this is the only right way to respond to Jesus. How he moves you, that's how you respond. But the flip side is also true. You know that the places we are least responsive are the places where we are unmoved. When we just go through the motions without feeling it, when we just do our duty because we're supposed to, when we just follow the crowd, we're not responsive because we're not moved, but I want to know why. And I want to know what moves you and what doesn't. Because that's a clue to what you are truly worshiping with your life. That brings us to our third question. This is great, Pastor Philip. We know you're like the worship pastor, and that's important to you. But, but real, really, why does this even why does this even matter? Well, I'll tell you. Um, you know, there's a thing about preaching. There's different styles and approaches you can take to a message, right? There is the education style, which is where you just go dive deep into a topic and you explore it and explain it, and everyone walks out knowing more than they did. And that's great. I love that. If you want to have an educational experience about worship, I invite you to check out Worship Beyond the Music, my 11-part series on my website. That's the educational style. There's the obligation style. The obligation style says, we, why do we worship? Because God commands it, because he is worthy, and because we should. That's true. Yes and amen. He does command it. He is worthy, and we should. But you know what? I don't want to live my life according to what I should do, because it's an obligation. 
And I don't believe that's what Jesus wants for us either. You know why? Because the more I read and see who Jesus is in the scripture, and the more I see how powerfully he works in my life and in the lives of those I know, the more I see that Jesus is less about pushing you into an obligation, and he is all about inviting you into an invitation to a life of abundant joy. In fact, that's what Jesus said. He said, I came that they might have, he didn't say that they might have rules, that they might have obligations, that they might have things they have to do. He said, I came that they might have what? Life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. I believe Jesus has an invitation and that is why worship matters. Let's take a look at how Mary received this invitation and why worship matters so much in our lives. Notice how John records that when she poured out this beautiful perfume, this act of worship to Jesus. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Listen, because of Mary's willingness to pour out for Jesus, the people around her were blessed. Because of Mary's willingness to respond to what Jesus had done for her, how he'd moved her, the people around her got the benefit. Listen, when you and I live a life of worship to Jesus, responding to him, invested in him, moved by him, the people around us get blessed. They get blessed when we walk into the room because there's a fragrance of peace. They get blessed when we walk into the room because there's a fragrance of joy. They get blessed when we walk into the room because there's a fragrance of hope. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of person I want to be. That's the kind of life I want to live. A life where I show up and people say, oh, Philip's here. I love it when he shows up. Not because he's so fun and interesting. I mean, I am, but, but because Jesus is doing something in my life and the fragrance fills the room. You can have a life like that when you respond to Jesus consistently, when you're invested in him personally, when you're moved by him. But it's not just that. Mark records that Jesus said, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And I love this. Do you know that when you live a life of worship to God, that is a legacy that gets passed on for generations to come. Do you know that when you live your life in a way that responds to Jesus because you're invested in Jesus, because you've been moved by Jesus, do you know that that legacy can cascade downward and the people that follow after you will be far more blessed and have far more opportunities to know and love God because of what you did in your life? I think sometimes, I'm sure we all think sometimes, that one day I will die, and I wonder how long it'll be before the memory of me is completely forgotten. A life of worship makes that last a lot longer, not just in this life, but in eternity. I'm so grateful my grandparents on both sides served the Lord. I'm so grateful that my parents, on, they, they served the Lord. I'm so grateful I get the opportunity to serve the Lord. My prayer is my children will serve the Lord, that our legacy of faithfulness and worship will continue, because that is the invitation that Jesus is giving to you. A life of worship is a life that matters. But the thing is, none of these things would have happened if Mary wasn't willing to respond. None of these things would have happened if Mary wasn't willing to take a step 
and do something that others may have thought was over the top. But here's what Mary did. Mary broke something of value to her because of something she valued more. She broke something of value to her because of something she valued more. Now, we don't know why Mary had this alabaster jar of pure and expensive nard worth a year's wages. It's likely, probably, that was given to her by a family member. Perhaps she inherited it. Perhaps it could have been used for a dowry for when she got married. The truth is we don't know why she had it, but we know why she broke it. Because she knew that when we break those things in our life that are valuable to us, not because of foolishness or bad choices, but because we are willing to sacrifice them for Jesus, that something happens, that Jesus responds, that we are blessed, that God gives us a greater portion of his spirit and his power and his presence and his joy. That's the essence of worship, is the pouring out of ourselves to simply worship him. So I don't know what needs to break in your life. Maybe for you, it's a sense of certain propriety. Maybe you feel in our times of singing that you want to raise your hands, but that's just not how you were raised. Maybe that needs to break, and it's time to respond. I don't know what your financial situation looks like, but maybe God has been urging you to, to take a step and maybe and start tithing or, or take a step beyond tithing and be giving, and, and you're concerned because you're not sure about it. Maybe that needs to break. Maybe God's been telling you that it's time to start a ministry or have a home group or a Bible study in your home or simply start being more vocal about telling others how good Jesus is, but you're afraid of what might happen. You're not sure that you're qualified. Maybe that needs to break. But here's the thing about breaking, which, by the way, leads me to the title of my message, which I never told you. There's a blessing in the breaking. There's a blessing in the breaking when we are willing to put aside our concerns about what others will think of us, to put aside perhaps the things that we were raised were normal and step into a new way of expressing and responding to Jesus, whether it's here, whether it's there, whether it's everywhere. There's a blessing in the breaking, and that blessing can be yours if you're willing to say yes to Jesus when he moves. Not according to someone else's expectation of what you should, but you do what you can and trust God that it is enough. And I believe that the same Jesus who commended Mary for her willingness to break what was valuable to her for something that was more valuable, I believe he'll say the same well done to us. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you are such a faithful God. Thank you that you are faithful to welcome us in while we were yet sinners. You died for us to set us free, to make us clean, to make us whole. Jesus, thank you that you are still standing with arms open wide, welcoming us to come as we are and continue to be changed more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus. And Lord, my prayer for my life and for all of us is that we would be willing to break those things that we have held on to that are not leading us closer to you. And God, I pray that we would all continue to be people who worship, not just with what we say, not just with what we think or feel, but with what we do. So Lord, we trust you with these things. We pray them 
in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.